listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. conversation recently with someone who asked the question so like what's the key practice what's the key because everybody wants shortcuts and really short answers and you know the distilled (laughs) distilled version of uh, enlightenment Um, so what's what's the key practice was was the question and every once in a while um Stuff comes out of my face that surprises me. Um, this was one of those moments. And if it's somebody else's quote, they totally deserve a footnote here. And if it's mine, run with it. But it went something like this. When you don't mess with suffering, you will find yourself free of suffering's mess. When you don't mess with suffering, you will find yourself free of suffering's mess. In other words, when we aren't trying to escape, when we aren't trying to avoid, when we're not trying to indulge, when we're not trying to hold on, or reject when we're no longer meddling with our experience of pain, discomfort, and dissatisfaction, we can find ourselves in the midst of a great freedom. Now this goes counter to the way we've been raised, potentially. I want to see you guys. I can't see over there. Sorry, Ficus. But this, go, this does go counter to where we've um, most likely built most of our lives. In fact, the foundation to the way we have lived may, in fact, have been oriented around tweaking everything just so just so that we can get it right, just so that we can feel a little better, just so that we can manage, just so that the picture can remain perfect. Whatever it is, most of us, and I include myself in this mix, have fashioned lives, in many cases quite successfully, on what we believe to be a foundation that is strong and solid. And yet we hit a point, usually, when we begin to recognize that that foundation that we assumed was solid is actually a house of cards. That it doesn't take much to rattle it totally, watch everything collapse. Some of us may have experienced this uh, 
you know, financially, recently or in the past. Some of, this, some of us may have experienced this in relationship recently or in the past. Some of us may have experienced this when someone or some situation was taken from us. Some blessing was taken from us in a moment because of a situation, I should say. My teacher used to remind us that everything is inherently unreliable. Pretty encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> everything is inherently unreliable. Go team. Yeah, I mean, what do you do with that? Nothing. I mean, you can prepare for the eventual loss of everything. Call that death. Okay. Most people don't want to look at that. Still others want to only look at that. In both cases, those extremes tend to support a life that is rather out of balance. And in their own way, all they do is build another foundation that is none other than a house of cards. So what is not a house of cards in this regard? Well, the Buddhist teaching um, actually points us once again towards this idea of not messing with suffering as a way of gaining some deep insight into suffering's mess. A deep freedom from suffering's mess. Radical clarity shows up when we are really honest with our experience. I was reminded uh, of how important this is when I was spending some time with a, an old friend that I just love dearly, um, always will. But her way of meeting the world when asked how things are going, how you doing? Her way of responding to that is always fine. You know, with this strained look on her face and her eyes just beg to tell a different story. Oh, great. I'm really happy for you. Yeah, <laughs> everything's going just fine. <laughs> you know, and you can just feel almost that she's hanging on just with her fingertips. There's no freedom there. Nor is there freedom when everything is fine because I'm just dissolving into emptiness all the time. I'm escaping my life through my meditation. I'm avoiding every single thing that ever causes me distress. I'm avoiding every single thing that I have come to realize is delusion. That avoidance pattern defines delusion. It's delusion itself masking as clarity. And we really want to be alive to these traps and snares in our practice. 
one of the greatest Dharma questions you can ever ask yourself. What am I avoiding? This puts us right into the fire, if we can answer it honestly. The answers may not always be comfortable, but they will always lead us somewhere that nourishes awakening, that plants the seeds, that allows for fruition to at least become a grand potential. So what I want to encourage, tonight at least, um, is that as we sit in meditation, that we do nothing other than not avoid. Just in the 30 or so minutes that we're sitting together, that we not avoid whatever it is that comes up, but that we also not indiscriminately indulge everything that comes up, that we learn how to dance in that space of balance. Any good dance is actually, it must come from balance. I dare you to find a really good dancer that doesn't have great balance. Even the ones that are creating a mockery of the dance have incredible balance. That's what our sitting practice is. It's being upright in the face of whatever wind might be blowing. We're right there. And in that upright nature, what we'll find is, just like a wind bell, <coughs> we'll knock back and forth against the other, the other um, if you will, tubes in a wind bell, whether it's a bamboo that sets off the beautiful kind of clicking sounds or um, tubular bells. They're upright in the face of the wind. They let the wind blow, but they don't lose their context. They don't lose their integrity. And because they don't lose their integrity, there is that resonant echo of clarity that reverberates. And we know it is beauty. Be that beauty. Most of you know I love this uh, poet, Rainer Maria uh, Rilke. And uh, in his first elegy, he has this one just juicy tidbit that uh, can remind us of how, um, how we avoid life. Even when it's amazing, even when it's beyond perfect, he says, For beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror which we still are just able to endure, and we are so awed because it serenely disdains to annihilate us. We'll say it again. For beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror which we still are just able to endure 
And we are so awed because it serenely disdains to annihilate us. In other words, when something is so amazing that we can't handle it, we put it in a box. We put it somewhere where we can keep it from destroying us. But it doesn't destroy us. Fact is, nothing can destroy our timeless nature. Nothing can destroy our true nature. Nothing can destroy what is awake already in each of us. What do we do with beauty? Typically, we categorize and compartmentalize. Whew. Uh, that's beautiful. Uh, okay. Okay. All right? Instead of actually meeting the beauty fully, letting it bring tears to our eyes, letting it in so much that we think it might wipe us out, and staying right with it. Instead of flinching, instead of moving, instead of running away, instead of grasping, instead of putting it in a box, just being right there for it. And this happens most powerfully when we are actually meeting what is true and real in each of us, in each of ourselves. The scariest thing for any of us it appears, is to actually meet our own majesty with fullness, to meet the mystery called self. That's the scariest thing imaginable. We're more afraid of seeing how great we are than we are of seeing our failures. Ego will run with what I just said. If we're not careful. I am great. You know. I am fantastic. <laughs> I am Buddha. That I. That is doing that identification. Keeps us small. What's prior to that I. And what's on the other side. Of its identification. What if you will. Holds. That tiny little beast as it dances, what holds it is real, is timeless, is total, is whole, is utterly interdependent. It's the source and endpoint of all things, Alpha and Omega. And how do we meet it? We meditate. <laughs> when we sit still, there's this loosening of what keeps us bound by our smallness. When we meditate, the bondage 
that we have grown to become accustomed to and feel secure with begins to expand. And oftentimes we don't know what to do with that expanse. It's oftentimes very uncomfortable, which explains why as we begin to season as meditators and so forth, we oftentimes will run into a tremendous amount of discomfort. What's this? What's this that's showing up? What's this loosening of individual consciousness on universal awareness that I seem to be experiencing? This is scary. It might annihilate me. Therefore, I will categorize it. Therefore, I will run from, I will not let it hit me fully. So as this goes down, three things tend to happen. And I just kind of want to point this out so that you can begin to identify for yourselves as you explore this terrain. You can, you can begin to see more or less uh, some very common, common elements of this journey. First thing you'll find, and some of you may, may still be in this spot, but as we meditate, usually we start off wanting to feel actually safe. We start looking at meditation as a practice that keeps us calm. It keeps us more uh, focused. It, it establishes kind of a spaciousness for deeper clarity. All good. Okay? This is all good. But we can also, uh, as we kind of toy with meditation, it can be something that makes us feel better. There's a trap there. Because we identify with feeling good. And feeling good usually is something we want more of. We want to feel better. We want to feel good, so we want more of that. Well, isn't this natural? Yes. Awakening, not natural. So we make a decision. You know, Do we want to actually go for what feels good? Or do we want to awaken? And that becomes a personal calculus. That becomes something that we, we go through on our own. And there are oftentimes people that just decide, no, this isn't for me. And that's, <laughs> that is totally uh, respectable and understandable. I don't blame anybody that doesn't want to climb the mountain. I don't blame them at all. Okay? Sometimes it's much easier, especially here in the hard edge of suburbia, to just... just Drive the Prius. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. You know? Make a vegetarian. Yeah, that'll even be better. I'll be fine. You know? All good. All good. <laughs> How many Prius drivers do we have in the room? I'm sorry. Did I, did I strike a nerve there? Did I? I'm looking for someone to drive a Humvee and show up just revving the sucker when they get outside the, uh, the building here. Is this where it gets enlightened? <laughs> After safety, which is kind of the first step, the escape, meditation becomes an escape valve for us. It, you know, instead of drinking, now we meditate. Instead of smoking pot, now we meditate. Instead of whatever addiction we might have, now we meditate. Ah, okay. And what's more is we can establish... Um, an identity through a group. Oh, now I have a group to hang out with, the Sangha. I have more of an identity. This allows us to be safe. I'm a meditator. I'm an infinite smiler. 
I'm a, you know, whatever. I'm a Buddhist. Whatever it is. Identity. <sighs> now there's something to kind of put all this stuff on and into. Into boxes, we're safe. Once we grow out of that, and we typically do, especially if we stick with it, we start recognizing that stuff comes up that's negative. This loosening of individual consciousness on universal awareness allows for the plugs in the bucket, fingers that are holding the dike together, whatever, they, we can't do it any longer. And the flood happens. The crash happens. The structures that we have spent all this time building, the structures that we have worked so hard to hold it all together, suddenly can't and won't. And we can't repair it. We have no choice but to stand in the face of that flood. As the wall's crashing down, we're just standing right there. We, we don't have a choice. All this stuff kind of comes around, what the hell do I do now? Maybe I need to go see a therapist. To get, okay, maybe that's a good idea. You know, I'm a huge fan of Western therapy. As long as it's with a therapist, it's really good. And you will know. But we find that as we start going into this space where we're, we're feeling hammered by our lives and how the practice is exposing us more readily to what is perceived as violence almost or, or you know, this, this crash. What we find is that this is ego's last stand. I've talked about this before, but that essentially this is, this is where ego, this is saying, all right, you're either with me or against me. It's up or down, black or white, this or that. You're either with me or against me. And if you're against me, then, then screw you. You're, you're screwed. When in fact, if we can stick with it long enough, if we can be right in that fire, if we can be right in that flood, pick your metaphor, okay? If we can hang long enough there, we start recognizing that there is something that descends simultaneously and arises simultaneously within us and outside of us that allows for what is beyond ego, what is beyond the mind, what is beyond the body, what is beyond indeed time, they begin to meet. Eros and agape. I like looking, just because I think it's a much simpler metaphor, the chick pecking on the egg and the mama hen pecking at just the right point, cracks the egg, All right? Or teacher, student, crack. And at that point, our meditation has actually gone through the initial stage of this keeps me safe, this keeps me calm, this keeps my blood pressure low, this keeps me healthier, to 
all the negativity that can oftentimes come up. We've learned how to face that negativity without messing with it. Therefore, negativity's mess begins to become clear. We start seeing through it. We no longer identify with it. And at that point, we kind of hit this third opening where what is beyond all of the stuff, all of the mess, what is radiant and clear and resonant and amplified by all things begins to simultaneously arise from within and meet us in all ways from without. So, a tremendous practice to kind of hit that third stage is to first recognize what keeps you in safety. What keeps you seeking safety? How do you feel threatened? How is it that we feel threatened? And there are tons of threats. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are tons of threats that are out there. Many of us, myself included, feel deeply threatened by the state of the world on the one hand. Okay? Seven billion people on the planet? Awesome. All right? At what point do we hit carrying capacity? At what point? You know? We could make it. We could have 10 billion people, most likely. But what would the standard of living be like? These are great questions to ask. Are we doing all that we can to make sure that everyone has a shot? I spoke briefly about the Occupy Wall Street movement. You know, Certainly, there are some unenlightened approaches to the entire movement. But there's also some very interesting sparks of awakening that are coming through as well. Same thing for political leadership around the world. Every once in a while, you see something that's truly remarkable in a really good way. And you can also find, find it the other direction. Are you whipped around by either? If you're meditating or you're participating in a meditation group like this one so that you can escape that, you might find some solace for a while, but it's not going to last. Finding what threatens you helps you identify the impulse to lean towards safety. Finding what we identify with, looking at our pain from our past, and simultaneously looking at the stress of some future event that hasn't happened yet, even though we live here in the now. Recognizing that there is no salvation. Other than the practice and where it leads us, which is in not messing with the mess. We start gaining a freedom from the typical patterns of desire. Desire always comes from something external because we feel that there is an inherent sense of lack to who and what we are. 
If we can get through this and we can actually start facing the negativities, we can start facing what threatens us fearlessly without flinching. When we can start recognizing that we no longer need anything to stabilize us from the threatening chaos of the infinite. When we recognize that we no longer need greed as a way of staving off negativity. When we can just be with what comes up as we loosen our individual consciousness on universal awareness. When we can just be right there with it. We start to spontaneously avail ourselves to the infinite potentiality of an arising and a descending of what is beyond us as we know it. And this is time-tested. Tradition after tradition after tradition points this out. It's difficult uh, when we have all this egoic inertia going in particular directions. But it is totally possible, and as Sylvia Borstein put it, I think, so brilliantly, it's easier than you think. I would also add, it's precisely not what you think it is. Awakening to this descent, God's kiss, and God's surge is something that's our birthright, regardless of faith, regardless of tradition. You can take this message on as a Hindu, a Christian, a Buddhist, a Jew, or an atheist, and it still serves, hopefully. So while this is kind of a theme, um, I think it's, it's critical that we not avoid anything, anyone, any situation, if it's arising. Don't run away. Do not run away. Stay still. Meet whatever it is and deal with it in as healthy a way as you possibly can, in a way that's generous to you and generous to everyone else in the process. Then you become awakening as a delivery of awakening. Your activity becomes something that can enliven, enrich, and nourish because it's sourced from an infinite and spacious generosity. Why? Because there's always more of that love to give It's never expended totally. It's never gone. That tank is always on full. Pedal to the metal. Floor it. for Q&A. Yes.
of picking up on something you were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so I can meditate and I can feel what's coming up inside me and watch it. Mm -hmm. And then it usually fades out and something else comes up. Watch it and stay with it. And stuff it arises, out. stuff ceases, right. stuff arises. Right. And then sometimes all that kind of melts away a little bit and I feel better. Uh huh. I feel sometimes good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing it wrong then. If you, <laughs> if you feel good, you're totally doing this wrong. That's yeah. what you seem to say. No. But so. <laughs> so. So you've often taught, you know, there's traps. and mm -hmm. So what is the distinction between um, what I assume is the naturally arising process of sort of floating above a lot of the um, internal stuff? Turmoil. In other words, in other words when, you're, when you're no longer bound by the turmoil in your experience. And you sort of at least... For a few minutes. <laughs> For a few minutes, you're feeling seems, pretty damn good. Seems, seem to be, you know, <laughs> and I don't, you know, I, you hear about these people having all these ecstatic things, and that never seems to happen, but it feels good. And the distinction between that and what you're talking about as being more towards getting uh, addicted to, um, I guess, the high of uh, well, what I would say is that open feeling that you have that actually, by its very nature, will feel good, okay? That's just fine. Identifying with it, clinging to it, actually turns it into a goal or a thing, something that we strive to gain again. That's the, that's the trap. That's the seductive nature of that openness. But that openness itself, though, Dave, is God's kiss arising and descending at once in a fleeting, fleeting way, typically because it's not stabilized. It becomes stabilized the more we sit, even when we don't want to sit. It's like going to your therapist even when you don't want to go to your therapist. It's not avoiding sitting for sitting's sake. And what we begin to uh, recognize and experience is that those moments of bliss and so forth, those states of bliss begin to kind of expand and stabilize and then integrate into our experience. And then there's more. But we keep kind of doing this, recognizing that the state itself may or may not necessarily inspire a trait to unfold within. And that's kind of where the rubber hits the road. It says we, we begin to change by letting go of the stuff that we don't need. And the more we recognize that we are all totally interdependent, that there is no separate self except in our own minds and in the minds of most of the people that we know, okay, is the minute that that boundary starts to fall apart, and the minute we can, in a free-functioning way, meet the world from total generosity, total love, total passion, with a fire that burns from an infinite source of fuel, 
And we do it consciously. And so what I would say is don't avoid those feel-good moments, but neither should you cling to them. That's where we get into danger. It's not like what I'm saying is if you're... I was teasing, of course. If you feel good, you're messing this up. That's absolutely not the case. I'm just saying that most people will look at that kind of getting high aspect of their sitting practice and they want to go there again. They're jonesing for that, ah, let me find that. And when they don't, they get really upset and discouraged. Is that the problem? Because, see, I don't know how to do it. To do, you don't know how to do what? If I knew how to get to the high, Uh I might be doing it all the time because since I don't know how to do it, Right. It's not a problem. <laughs> so you can't get addicted to your meditation practice at this point. I have yeah. to go through the process over and over and over, and once in a while it happens. So. Exactly. And let that be. Yeah. Let that be, because that there's a divine grace in exactly what you just said. Every meditation is different. Every meditation has something it can reveal. Don't cling to anything that is revealed when you're studying your life with that type of intensity. And you'll find that where it leads you is precisely beyond the striving. And that way, once again, you're not messing with the mess. People find that there's tons of suffering that comes up in meditation, right? And when they start messing with their suffering, they want to get to that high as opposed to actually dealing with a problem that just keeps hammering them as they're sitting still. When will this go away? How many more? God dang, how many more minutes, you know? Right? You sit until the bell rings. Damn it. Right? And that type of discipline, oh, that carries us. It's not easy for some of us. But it carries us. Sorry for that little addendum there, but I want to make, want to make sure that was there. Thank you. Great, great question. Is there another hand? I thought I saw another hand. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, when I meditate, beside all the fears and everything that comes to my head, it happens to me sometimes that I'm meditating, all this important stuff comes to my head. Yeah. Um, getting anxious, I have to do it. So I took a piece of paper, put it next to me, and said, this time I'm going to write them down so I can continue. Mm-hmm. So I kept on doing it. <laughs> Is it okay? No. <laughs> do not keep a pad of paper next to you as you meditate. Okay? <laughs> Here's why. Here's why. There so it, I can... Then it's not meditation. Right? It's thinking. And what happens is meditation is very naturally will allow for stuff to kind of settle. It's like you're looking, you're looking at the, I've described it sometimes as, as a river. And then when you're sitting still, sometimes as the river starts to slow down, you can now see the stuff that's on the bottom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so rather than picking the stuff up or, you know, writing, writing it down, put that away. And I want you to tell yourself the, the minute that happens again, just say to yourself, I will make an appointment to deal with you later. Hi, Hi there you are. Nice to see. I'll make an appointment and we will meet later. And then you get right gently back to your breath. 
And if it comes up again, that, remember what I said? I'll deal with you later. And if you have to, every single time, tell it you'll, you'll deal with mind later. But that's just mind. And guess what it's doing? Mind is now, or ego is now, making a stand saying, I'm not going to let you sit still. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because if you sit still, mind loses its position in your self-system. Mind, mind no longer can be in charge. Ego can no longer be in charge. And it will do whatever it can to be in charge. We also do this with falling asleep. We also do this the easiest time. The one that's most difficult for most of us to, to fight is when the alarm goes off. And ego says, it's so warm in this bed. <laughs> Not today. Sit in the afternoon. <laughs> right? Right? That's, that's, that's another, another version of the same exact thing that you're talking about. Let it go. Just be there in the middle of that experience. And in being in the middle of that experience with total surrender, you will find that instead of there, need, there being a need to plan, there will be merely an expression of wow. I was so touched by Steve Jobs' sister wrote what his last words. Did anybody else hear this? It's, it's the mantra of this sangha. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then he died. That's exactly, we talk about that here, the, the divine wow. You know? When pain, when rage, when anger, when fear, whenever it shows up, whenever your negativity shows up, that's actually kind of a good sign. It's great stuff to practice with. All you got to do is say, ah, wow. Or if you don't like wow, you can say, hey, old friend, you're looking good today. Some days it looks really good. It's seductive how good it looks, right? Be right there. Be right there with it. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes? What would you say if a friend called you and said, I have cancer and I have two months to live? I'd say, what are you going to do? That'd be the, that'd be the f- first thing after. I've actually given that a lot of thought. What would I do if, if a person that I was really close with, I've had it happen once before, but I think, so what are you going to do? Um, and I would hope that I could keep my grief in check so that they didn't feel they had to take care of me. Because they need me. They're reaching out to me. And what I want to do is give them as much as I can to help them meet this amazing experience that we'll all go through with consciousness. Not to make them happy. That gets obnoxious. You ever had anybody try to make you happy when you're not happy? It's like, shut up, please. Right? But instead to hear them fully, to see them fully in their experience... And to hopefully inspire them to do something crazy in a, in a responsible way, like not go rob a bank. Or, well, if they really wanted to, I mean, that might be cool. Uh, but to, do, to make sure that they, at week seven, can turn around and look at their entire experience and say, 
Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. How can I help that along? That doesn't mean I'm going to stifle my tears. I'm not going to lie. But I'm also not going to indulge my emotional uh, hit as best I can in front of them. Unless it would be helpful. You know? It's a great question. What would you do? All right. Yeah. To my teacher, you know all this stuff. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything that you don't already know. That's why you keep coming back, probably. Yeah. Sometimes it also helps to, um, when someone is in that space, tickle them. <laughs> They're still alive now. <laughs> 